the last time I spoke, I had three different people come up and say, I had a child die and I can't talk about it. I just can't talk about it. And hearing someone talk to 400 people about a family member, child dying, like, I, I want to try. And then that's like, you know, it's not, I'm not saying I made that difference. I'm saying hearing a human being say the worst thing that's happened to them that they didn't want to talk about heals some part of 10-year-old me that was going through that and never said it. Hello and welcome to the Way Up North podcast. This is where we get to know the speakers presenting at Europe's wedding photography conference, Way Up North. We're not interested in which apertures they use or what they carry in their camera bags. Instead, we aim to get to know them a little bit better as people. My name is Jacob, and in a few moments you'll hear my colleague Cole interviewing Ryan Muirhead. Ryan is the only presenter at Way Up North this time around who does not work with weddings. So why is in the lineup then? Well, if you've seen his work, you probably know. Uh, not a lot of people are able to express feelings in their images in the same way Ryan does. His work is honest and real, and has a real beautiful dark touch to it. So here goes, Cole's talk with Ryan a few weeks ago. Okay, hey Ryan Muirhead, how are you? We just started. Hey, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm at home in Portland, Oregon, listening to the rain and talking to you on an internet. On the web. So we, we just we just spoke for like maybe, I don't know, five minutes before I actually hit record. And that was like the first... Well, I've never spoken to you before. You're a little more intense than I expected, man. Yeah, I mean... In a good way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm really that intense in all the rest of my life. Just when I start to talk about photography or art or why I'm doing it, I do. I, I get really big picture and really intense pretty fast. So no, that's intense. Intense and passion. The lines kind of get blurred. Yeah. So all right. So why do you do photography? Um, we'll start with a big one. Yeah, you know it's so funny because anytime I've like talked about it, I kind of have like the routine, and I even get scared. Like, is that the true story, or is this the story you learned how to tell people you got into it? And then I get all in my head and like analytical of like, are you about to just tell that story you know that goes over well, or is this why you're really doing it? So I'm <laughs> okay. always, I'm always thinking that, but I'm doing it because for most of my life I lived something I would consider pretty insincere. I think from a little kid, I had a lot of different mental and inside directions than the community and religion and environment and schools and all that that I was raised in. Well, but can, you, what, can you describe the environment you were raised in? Then? Yeah, I'm from Orem, Utah, a city of a county of 300,000 people that's 97% white and 98% Mormon. Oh, really? And there is a very, very clear path and structure of like this is what a human life looks like this is the right answer this this is the deviation and you will do this and it's kind of hard to see outside of that because your parents are like that your siblings are like that your teachers are like that everyone you meet at the grocery store is like that all your friends are like you know you get such reinforcement that this is the way you're gonna live 
But then when your internals are different, I think I saw two different kinds of people like that. The people that felt different and were just like, oh, can I swear on this? Yeah, oh, yeah. fucking sorry, A, fucking A, man. Sometimes, the, you know, the people that are like, fuck this. Like my friend Bert from The Used, you know, or like, not me, you know, like I'm, I'm out of this. Like, But I wasn't like that. I was so timid and scared that I had no courage to be like, I don't feel like this. I'm not like this. And so I continued on that until I was like, 19 and then i was going to go on a mission for this church and then i did and then my internal conflict was so great my body just disintegrated internal bleeding couldn't eat 10 years of fight club level insomnia depression right like anxiety like you just you're, you're that was a lot of stuff you just I know. dropped there for real for like, real wow so like you had some it sounds like you had major health issues going on gigantic i mean that shut my whole life down i was in bed for most of a year and a half i had insane insomnia i was on 60 different prescription medications like and that was my life for like seven years and when i took my first photo was like seven or eight years into that wow so the reason i'm shooting is because i was like i'm gonna die and i can't get any of this out and then when i accidentally found photography i was like you have to make this real. You have to make this feel like the stuff that you're going through. Wow, that that is uh, that's incredible. I had no idea actually. That's, like it's... Hence, the, hence the intensity, and that's and that's all it still is. It didn't turn into a business. It didn't turn into a. I kept making stuff, and then I mean, I had my head down for so long. You know, like this will keep you from killing yourself. This is better than everything else in your life. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Make, make, make. And you know, and then someone was like, "Oh, you're a photographer," and I was like. Oh, not, you know, not really. No, I don't want to shoot anything for you. No, I don't know what I'm doing. But they were like, oh, well, make a MySpace page and you have 16 slots you can put photos on. And then it was like, oh, make a Facebook page, make a business page. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess you do something with the photos. And I just shoot and upload them. And by the time I was like two years into it, like, whoa, what are you doing? My page had like 40,000 followers and it was a complete accident. So like... Okay, I want to just kind of like back it up a little bit. Sorry, I know I just dropped a. No, this is hey. Let's just let's get to the point. I like it, <laughs> but I'm like mental health is an interesting topic because you. I, I mean, I don't want to like pound on the mental health thing, but it seems to me like you're you've come out of the shadows in a positive way where you are right now, but identifying that you are having difficulties, like when was the point that you you said, you know what, I need help. You know, that's, that's a really tough thing to answer because there's a couple different stages of that early on in this like massive health thing. When I, it's hard to describe, man, you know, I fell asleep at four in the morning. I was on Ambien for 10 years. I'd wake up and have done things and gone places and met people that I didn't even know about or remember. I mean, it was like a mini fight club experience. And in the middle of kind of falling apart of that, I started going to psychiatrists and I got on all these different medications. But I wouldn't say like, to me, it's a different thing. You know, like I need help and taking drugs and talking to people was one kind of I need help. And another kind of I need help kind of started with speaking at workshops and conferences, to be honest, where I finally got up. And instead of saying like, oh, it's fun. I take these photos. This is my life. You know, instead of doing the online building your identity through all the nice parts of it and then talking about it like that's you. I got up and 
for kind of the first time, like laid out the entire mess. Wow. Without trying to like sell it, you know, like just said, like I got asked to speak because people follow this, these photos. People keep saying all, there's a lot of misconceptions about why I'm making it, who I am, what they are. And I feel obliged to like tell you where it's actually coming from. Because if someone felt some kind of sadness or jealousy from wanting that based on me misrepresenting it, I mean, it'd just kill me. Yeah. You know, I, I barely dug myself out of it from not wanting to be me. And if I was now using that platform to pass that feeling on to someone else, it'd just kill me. It's interesting because like from afar, you know, like when I have looked at what you do over the years, it, it's like you, you just I just try to like read between the lines a little bit. And re in reading between the lines, it, it appears as though maybe you have like a a conflict, if you want to call it that, with like social media and, and the facade of social media in that, you know, maybe maybe I'm assuming too much here, but it seems like you kind of like, you know, feel it's a bit fake. Let's put it that way. Yet that's kind of like a big part of you at the same time. So like, can you describe that conflict? If, if there is even one, no, maybe I'm totally wrong. You know what? And, and it's such a hot topic now, you know, like these people quit Instagram. It's so fake. Social media is all fake. And like anything, it's just complicated. You know, I will, I, I will never get on and be like, fuck this. It's all so fake because from that, I sell enough prints to not, have a real job it's not a lot of money it's a tiny amount of money but it's enough to keep going in something i love doing from that i've met 90 percent of the people that are my best friends now from that i had a mystery free day in paris and wrote like hey i'm here and i'm terrible at adventuring alone and i get scared to wander out does someone want to meet and 14 people wrote me back in an hour's notice came and got me and took me around paris for a day like that is, that's unbelievable and then just the byproduct is you have a scary, scary opportunity to take all the best parts of your life or all the happiest stuff and portray them as if that's all it is. And I'm not issuing some call to be like depressed or conflicted, but there's this scary thing that happens where you get on, you see all the best parts of someone else's life and you're like, that's not my life. And it's not just that. You then curate your own story to be that, and then you look at it and be like, not only is their life better than mine, but my good life is bullshit and fake. And it's just this like three times pile, I think, opportunity <laughs> to be like really sad about your circumstances. And my conflict comes from I am making things from this place. I want to get it out there. You know, like, I'm not going to be like, oh man, you know, numbers don't matter. I wish every person in the world followed my Instagram. I wish I had 7 billion followers. I want to make something and have the opportunity to connect to the absolute largest number of people from feeling it and making it. But I, I'll, I'm, I'll just be damned if I like use that as some platform to make someone wish they were okay. me. Because yeah, it's been very confusing painful place to create from and if someone's jealous of that because i'm not putting that into it i, I wouldn't feel very good about myself because one example recently that i was really interested when you posted on your instagram account about how you quit the church basically and i was i don't know why that post in particular stuck with me 
but I was thinking like that's a pretty personal thing. You know, like putting something that has nothing to do with your work at that point. That is like purely a personal thing and a a really big life decision, it seemed like. So I'm curious, do you like, do you just share it all? Or do you, are you particular about how personal you want to share something? This is a cool question for me because it's been very, very particularly on my mind lately. You know, I think a lot of times something just happens and then you do more of it and then you have momentum and then you're like, oh, this is what I do. And sometimes it takes a moment of stopping and looking backwards and being like, wait, is this like a core part of me or or am I doing this because of something? And I had one of those really recently because, you know, like you said, I've been sharing a ton. I've been doing a lot of that. And I had this mentality of like, that's who you are, you know, like, I want to know the worst part about anybody. I want to say the hardest thing that happened to me. I want to hear it all. You know, that's just who I am. And just in the last maybe couple of months or weeks, I had this moment of like, there, this is very reactionary too. you know, like Mormonism's full of some scary, scary stuff that goes on that you don't talk about. You know, if you do something outside of this, you confess it privately and pretend it never happened. All your, you know, it's a very Stepford Wives kind of thing in Utah County where everyone's so happy. And then you hear about all this really hard stuff that happens and no one's talking about it. And so then I started seeing like, wow, with your transition into art, like you picked up this like, fuck that. Like, I want to hear the worst thing you've ever done and just be like, I love you and be like, Here's everything hard that's happening to me. So if you have something that you're feeling like that, you can say that out loud. And, you know, it's it's wanting to save a younger version of myself. It's wanting to create some presence that touches someone in some way I used to be and needed that. Wow. And so, wow, that's heavy stuff. I, I, like just... Just in the last, sorry, I don't mean to cut you no, off. No, go, Matt, go. last week, you know, I've been trying to talk more and more about stuff. Like, I kind of got known for shooting model work. And I mean, even that in itself is a very different story than I think most people think it is. It was this combination of sexuality is just absolutely forbidden in Mormonism before marriage of any kind. And I ended up 29 super fucked up, a virgin, no concept of sexuality or talking about it. And I wanted to approach this as like, this is people I'm attracted to. And I'm not going to make some dirty model mayhem shit. I'm going to take what that actually is, like a guy that wants to take pictures of girls he's attracted to. You know, like that thing you don't say. You come up with an artist statement about the body and form and societal trends and like to steer it away from that because that's not okay. And I wanted to start approaching it from like, no, that is what it is. And I can talk about that and I can do it with respect and art and grace and beauty and honesty. And the other thing is I'm straight you know, hilarious revelation for a podcast, but have what I would consider to be almost no masculine traits. I mean, I'm the least guy guy there is. Everything I associate with is like feminine and all the, most of the conversations I have in the places I want to be is either with men that are artists or women. You know, I just have very few like traditional human male masculine traits. 
and I wanted to shoot feminine people of like my friend Rachel, who I do most of my model work with. She's within an inch and five pounds of me. We have almost the exact same height and weight. Wow. And there's a huge draw to me to shoot someone with basically my body type that's a woman. But, you know, it just gets out there in this, like, realm of, like, shooting hot girls. And it's like, I'm not going to quit because I'm shooting what I'm shooting for me. But, like, I feel like there's some pretty big gaps between, like, what I'm doing and why and, like, where it ends up and how it's perceived. I'm, like, okay, so, I like, I do a bit of photography as well on the side. But I, I don't consider myself, like, an artsy guy at all. Um, but in saying that, like, here's my artsy interpretation of what you just said there like do you and this might be too deep and this might be a really shitty question actually but do you, are you do you think you're kind of like trying to photograph yourself in oh. a way and what i mean by that is like if the body types are similar it seems like there's some like there's a lot of emotion in your work whether it's sad emotion or conflicted emotion but like do you see a mirror in a way of, of the people you're photographing not in a way in entirely my entire goal is to make a photograph and look at it and be like, that feels how I feel. I mean, 100%. That's the entire goal. Wow. When did you start? When did that click for you? Because like, I don't know, that doesn't just like, I mean, you don't take a high school class and that's the career path. Like, when did that sort of um, quest begin for you? Would you say, was there a defining moment? My very first photograph. I mean, it's kind of a long story, but I was working on movies and TV shows as a camera assistant. No photographic interest, just loading film for movies into the magazines. And I was dying, just so such horrible anxiety and depression. And I was still very conservative, short hair, very quiet, didn't talk to anyone. And I was working on a series of movies and I made friends with this makeup artist who was kind of out there. And she picked up pretty fast that I was not okay. And I just would hang out with her in her makeup trailer at lunch. And eventually she was like, hey, do you want me to like put nail polish on you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then she'd like do my makeup. And, you know, it's not me. I'm like super conservative. And then I'd work the rest of the day with like makeup on. And it was really embarrassing and hard. But I started getting this sense of like, there's something physical to interact with that is saying like, this is, I'm not okay. Or this is what's inside me. And a couple months into that, she was like, Hey, I'm getting married. Uh, just small thing out in the woods, like not even, you know, big deal, but like I'm bringing, I brought my wedding dress to set today and I would like for you to photograph me in it. And I was like, uh, I'm not a photographer. And that's not a humble, like, Oh, I'm not, I don't do bridles. You know, like I'm not a good photographer. It's like, um, I've never taken a photograph and I don't own a camera. <laughs> so okay. it's just like, lots of people have, on set have one, um, borrow it, have them show you how to use it and then take a photo of shoot. Sorry. I'm t- some horrible delivery here. She was like, that's not the point. I want you to take a photo. Wow. I want you and what you've been going through and what you've shared with me and what you are to make something how you see it. And so I got some Canon 10D, set it to the green box, and we shot it. I mean, I can send it to you. I have it. But it was the first photo I ever made. It's kind of weird without you being able to see it right now. I'm visualizing Uh, it, man. But anyway, I 
shot it for her and she printed it out and she started showing people around set and she took it to the director and the director of photography and she was like, Ryan made this. And the director of photography said to me, he's like, this feels like something. Wow, man. That's... And then I was like, I kind of looked back at him and I was like, oh my God, like that does feel like a lot of like, and you know, this is such art 101, you know, like feel something, make something, share it. But like, I was a history major in college. I worked at a restaurant before that, you know, I had no, no artistic background, not a creative kid, not always drawing, painting, making things, not always knew I had something to share there. That story, it, it wasn't there. So th this hit me like some load of bricks. So day one, I took that photo. I think a week later, like I started on the, I've shot every other day till now. Wow. Like it kind of just. So what, what year was that? Oh, seven. And so what, what happened next? Like, because like, I, I don't know, you don't, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who did that and then wrote down a business plan, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> for example. So, so like, I'm curious, like what happened next? So bought a 20 D and a 18 to whatever, you know, kit lens. And I was working on movies for a while, but I just kept shooting more and more and more and more and more. And eventually it got to the like you know, you can get spiritual about it or whatever, but I was like, I am making something about my life as a human being and nothing else before this in my life had that realness to it. You know, I don't talk about how I feel. I'm in a belief system that doesn't match me. I don't date, but I'm very lonely. I'm curious about human sexuality and have no experiences i'm making money but don't want anything i'm progressing in this thing but don't even for no reason and these photos started to have you know there was no money behind them and no plan behind them and no reason but i started to pick them up and be like this is actually what's happening to me wow. this is actually part of what it's feeling like to be alive and at some point i quit working on movies you know making seventy thousand dollars a year to make $5,000 a year for the next five years, lost a lot of stuff, had to sell most of my stuff, moved back in with my parents in their basement, like had nothing just to be like, I don't care. I don't like being alive with all these other conditions. And at least this feels like something. And at some point it built to an, an, enough tiny print sales and speaking engagements to eke out some pretty meager life that I have now. And I still have no idea where it's going. Well, not to like get too personal, but are you being modest about that? And, and what I mean, what I mean is like, you're a very in demand guy, like in a lot of ways. So like, are you being modest about it or is that? No. Um, where I, where I, I mean, I finally was able to move to everything's favors, man. My three Leicas were all given to me from people who saw me. The first one, someone saw me own one and I had to sell it because I ran out of money. I thought it'd be, and I really sold it. And someone wrote me, it was like, Hey, I was loving that Leica work you were doing. It felt different for you. And I was like, yeah, me too. I ran out and I sold it. And he said, well, I have a pretty strong emotional connection to your work and it was doing something for me. And I'm a pharmaceutical sales rep and I make a lot of money and I have a lot of Leicas and seeing your work is emotionally important to me. It'll be in the mail tomorrow. The next wow. one came from a friend in Vancouver who 
when my niece that was born that died that I photographed her life, he was like, I think you should have this camera to work on that story. Just keep it and mailed me that. Like I've had a, where I live now in Portland is from a friend giving me a extremely, extremely cheap place to be because I needed to get run away from Mormons in Utah. I have a, I have a lot of stuff like that. I have a lot of emotional support stories. The, you just mentioned something there. Um, the, it was your niece that you photographed. Yeah. Can you describe that story? So I photographed the birth of my first niece, the first grandchild in our family, my sister's kid. Um, and it was pretty, you know, powerful to photograph a birth. And then she got pregnant again. And uh, partway through the pregnancy, the tests they were doing revealed that the baby had tumors in its heart and brain. Um, and then it was going to be born with that. Um, and she was born with, I can't remember, I don't know, 20 or 30 tumors between her heart and brain and was expected to live, but over the course of 10 days died. Um, and I was there and photographed her being born and her in the hospital and then photographed her funeral. Um, carried her casket with a camera around my neck. Um, How do you even photograph that? I mean, I, that's just like heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it was extremely heartbreaking, but. Like, it, OK, like to turn that into a, like, you know, a question, like how, how do you do it? Like when something is that heavy, like, I don't know, man, like, I, I couldn't do it. So here's here's a weird answer to that question. So when I was in college, I eventually went back to school. I stopped being a history major and wanted to get a BFA in photography I was in all these photo classes and I knew I wanted to make this emotional work and I'm learning tips and tricks and lighting and lenses and film speeds and perspectives to try and learn how to convey emotion, you know? And I was in this English class in this basement and the teacher was a really interesting guy. And this is some open enrollment college, you know, basement class. And this is some English class basically for like people that need this class to graduate, you know, like people that have failed this class before. Or... And so we were going to grade papers. You know, we had to write some essay about something that happened to us, switch the papers. So we trade papers of essays to grade. And the teacher says, okay, now before we start, turn to the person next to you, get comfortable, sit, face them. Now for the next five minutes, I want you to silently look into each other's eyes. Everyone's like, uh, okay, uh, okay. So we start doing this, you know, you're like, okay, whatever. 30 seconds in, you're like, you have this realization of like, oh my God, we never do this. We never do this. We're surrounded by people and we never do this. A minute in, people start crying. Really? Three, oh my gosh. Three minutes in, unbelievable. The end of the five minutes, most of the groups are like hugging People are raising their hands saying they could feel exactly what the other person was feeling. They sent stuff about them. Then they started saying, like, describe the person you're sitting with. And most of us did not know the person. And there were all these, like, amazing stories. And I was sitting there and I was like, holy shit. Like, my goal is to feel this from people and make work like this. And I just learned more in five minutes of being there with somebody than I did in all these 
photography efforts of learning why an 85 millimeter lens is more flattering for their face. And I had this like, fuck, we've been, I've been coming at it totally wrong. Like the hardest part of conveying emotion. I know this is a very long answer to your question. The hardest part of conveying emotion is to sit there after that first minute of like, this is so hard. This is so uncomfortable. This is so difficult. I'm going to step back to be like, to stay there was the absolute hardest part. And that's how I shot it by standing right there, feeling all this, like, this is too much. This is overwhelming. This is too sad. I don't know how to do this. I want to run away and then standing there and taking photos. Wow. That's, that's a story, man. Like, that's just like, I, well, okay. So what kind of lens do you use? No, I'm, yeah. I'm joking, man. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I know. I know you are, but but let me answer that. No, <laughs> Nobody cares about gear, man. Seriously. Okay, I okay. Mean, for real. Okay, but I was kidding about the lens question. Oh, no, I know you are, but it. I love how little stuff works out like this. Okay. I have an actual emotional answer to that. Okay. In this learning that there's all this wide array of stuff, it's the reverse engineering thing I was just talking about. You know, we have this, this is wide and shows a scene. This is a 200 and is very compressing and flattering. And it, and then you just have all these for what reason? And when I flipped that question over and I was like, and this is related to the thing we just talked about, man, it really is for me. I was like, what do you want your photos to feel like? And I realized I want it to feel like when that person sees it, like they were looking through my eyes, like they were standing where I was standing with that thing. I shoot 98% of my photos on a 50 or a 35 millimeter lens because whether you're focused or just kind of standing there, that's what it feels like to stand there. You don't, you don't really strike me as the kind of guy who like sweats the technical stuff. Do you agree with that or? Yes, but. Like you take technically fantastic pictures, but it doesn't seem to me like you're worried about F-stops and shit. You're worried about like what you feel. This is what it is to me. I think 90% of conveying emotion in a photograph is asking yourself tough, being introspective about who you are and what you want to feel and what you want a life to be. And then the 10% is you know learning how to mechanically operate something to capture that. And it's a very small part to me, but when I do start to consider it, then I take it seriously. My lens choice thing is serious. You know, people are like, well, 50 millimeters isn't flattering for a portrait. I'm like, do you like my portrait work? Nothing's shot on a lens longer than a 50, nothing. Because I don't want it to feel like, oh, I compressed your face nicely from 10 feet away. If there's some distortion, if it feels weirder, I will trade that for you knowing that I was a foot and a half away from their face when I took the photo. Hmm. So, okay, so I, I don't know why this just popped in my head, but we're kind of switching gears slightly. But another kind of like question that comes to mind when I think about um, you, like, like your work is very identifiable at this point. It, to me, it seems clear. Like you see, can I can I turn this on you for half a second? Yeah, man. This is not fishing for compliments. This is a very, very sincere fascination because you make it and you're so involved and it gets out. I 
I get it from comments, but what do you mean? Why is it identifiable? Well, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's you know the gear you use or the position of the bodies or the just like the raw emotion of a picture. But it seems to me if I'm scrolling through an Instagram um, gallery, for example, without seeing who the photographer was, I would probably be able to stop pretty easily and identify your picture when it came up. Why that is, man, I don't know. But that's and maybe it's just me. But I have a feeling it's not. That's very, very personally significant to me because, you know, the whole goal was to get away from like, I know how to shoot this to like, what does it feel like? And can you translate that way before? Like, how should you take this photo? Okay, so we're on the same page somewhat at this point. So like the the back end of that question, and maybe this is way too deep of me thinking this, but do you think about your legacy? No. Well, I I guess I could answer that differently because a couple of things have changed that. You know, I had this desire of like, I want to make something so powerful that it hits somebody like Richard Avedon's In the American West hit me, where it stops you in your life progression and is like, whoa, oh my gosh, there's there's a different possibility. There's a different set of emotions. There's a different way to see this. There's a different way to feel this. I want to make something like that. And it was very, very consuming. And, you know, you think of it in terms of, well, if I had 10 million followers, that'd do it because everyone would see it. If I shot some historical event, like some massive occurrence by able to be there, that would do it because it would preserve it for humanity. And I shot my niece die in 10 days and they printed everything and they framed everything and put it all over their house and her physical legacy. I mean, I don't mean to minimize it, but her physical presence right now is those photos. And I was like, Oh my God, it happened. It happened. You made something that's going to affect the next 200 years of your family line. And then that like stopped me to be like, okay, the goal is not exposure. The goal is not famous people. The goal is not this. The goal is to make something so accurate, real, honest, and present that it becomes an heirloom. And I think that takes a little bit of perspective. You know, to see, like, if I can just show up and make this without freaking out over what I need it to be, in 10 years, it's going to be mind-blowing just because it was real. Okay, so to to kind of, like, go back and forth on that point there, because, like, you know, that's what it, it all boils down to, like, it, something with purpose and longevity. So with you, you do a lot of portrait work. Yeah. What other stuff do you do? What other types of work do you do that puts you in a scenario where you can create something that has that longevity? To me, the most obvious thing that is going to have that longevity, and if I, I you know, it's hard for me to give advice because I never know what I'm saying, but the thing that I can pass along immediately is like, shoot the love in your life. You know, if that's your family or your group of friends, like, well, do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Like honest, simple portraits of like the people around you is the fast track to doing that. And it might just take a little bit to realize that, that I'm also very kind of obsessive. The model and sexuality thing is so prevalent for me. I'm 34. I've had one girlfriend. I don't really date. I'm not out there a lot, but I'm like 
have that like biological like should I have reproduced? Should I be with somebody? Should I you know what I mean? And it's still a very, very it's such a front of my mind thing that it comes out in photographing people I'm attracted to a lot. And I'm okay and I, I'm I hope that changes. I hope in my life there's some resolution of those things and that diminishes. But I'm not one to be like, I need to put this away, you know, like I need to stop making this my focus. It's just like it's in my head and then I just photograph it. Has has anything in your life, like in your past life or where you're at right now, has anything even come close to photography and your level of care? Because to me, again, this is just like an outsider's opinion, like, like you're just living your photography. That's what it seems like. Uh, I've never been able to see it like compartmentalized, you know, like, oh, I'll go. I mean, and that's part of why I like can't do commission work or get hired by anybody like to take their portrait. You know, that's a really sad misconception for me is I've had people write and be like, I want to feel like the people in your photos feel or like, I want you to see me like that. or I want to hire you for this. And I'm like, it, I'm so touched because what a thing to have an outreach for, but there's no system. You know, if I show up mad, I'll be shooting mad. If I show up, so, you know, I think there's a big misconception that I have like this cool ability to like do that. And it's much more a reflection of my current state, be it excited, motivated, happy, depressed, fucked up. And why I work almost exclusively with like friends that I meet and have this conversation with. And they're like, oh, you know, like they get it. And then knowing that space, we produce work over and over and over again. But to like introduce somebody new to it, it can just be a total disaster. So you don't do many family portraits with strangers? <laughs> like, or, 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 that's, no, that's so fun because I just did for the first time in years just barely. Um, my sister has a friend who's dying of testicular cancer. And she wrote and was like, hey, you're in the same city as them. It's over the holidays. Like, will you go take a family portrait for him? And I got the nerves of like, one, I don't know how to do this. Two, the stakes of this are so high. Three, I don't want to mess this up for something they, where they would have wanted something else. You know, like all I know how to do is show up, see the light they're in and take a couple photos. But I said yes and went and did it. And it was a really positive, beautiful experience. But I would never put it out there that I can come do that. Okay. Okay. Well, there's a little bit of irony in, in that. Uh, and what came to mind there, like, okay, so I am one half of the organizing team of a wedding photography conference and you're coming and speaking and you're speaking at a lot of wedding photography conferences and in wedding and don't you see the irony there a little bit yes yes i see the irony everywhere in a lot of things that i'm doing <laughs> but, it, but it is kind of funny right because you know the reputation of wedding photographers are they're documenting the most important day blah 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 and you know you got to deliver and this is out, well outside of the type of work that you do. But wedding photographers are completely drawn to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't continually be asked to speak at these events. So how, do, like, how does that feel to you? Is that totally fucked up or what? 
Yes, it does. That's a funny question to, you know, ask somebody that you're hiring to come speak. Ah, I'm just winging it it here. Anytime I have to say something where I'm like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable or, oh, I'd rather not say that. Now I get excited because it's like there's the there's the chance to address it head on and be like, I'm confused and fucked up about this. I don't have a good publishable answer. I'm just confused. On one hand, it is fucked up because I I'm like this isn't a group of my peers, you know, like to me, it would make more sense to be at like some, I don't even know, you know, but you know, you look out and you're like, everyone here's goal is to make a successful run at something you're not interested in doing, you know, that, that hits me, but, but man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the emails and texts and stuff I've got when I just get up, and I try to do this anywhere. When I get up in front of a group of people and just be like, you have an opportunity because you're on a stage and they're in the seats. You've assumed this position of like, they know something I don't know. And when I can just say, I have had experiences that are cool, that are very meaningful photographic experiences that maybe you want, but here's the rest of the story. The kind of stuff that people come up and tell me afterwards goes back to that human connection that I wanted. The last time I spoke, I had three different people come up and say, I had a child die and I can't talk about it. I just can't talk about it. And hearing someone talk to 400 people about a family member, child dying, like, I, I want to try. And then that's like, you know, it's not, I'm not saying I made that difference. I'm saying hearing a human being say the worst thing that's happened to them that they didn't want to talk about heals some part of 10 year old me that was going through that and never said it. Wow. When did public speaking start for you and how were you like, how did you receive the first um, requests? Because I don't know, man, you, (laughs) you you seem like a pretty, you're a passionate guy, but a bit of an introvert at the same time. It it seems to me like, so as a, as a guy transitioning into you know, the dude we see today who's kind of had to find himself again, you're all of a sudden being asked to do this type of stuff. So how did you, how did you handle that? So the first big one that I did two weeks before it happened, I got a thing that said, Hey, our keynote speaker canceled. Can you come speak at this thing? And I was like, okay, you know, just I wanted new experiences. I wanted to travel. I wanted to put it out there, but very scared. And I just wrote like, yes, I'll do it. Then I got there, had to speak in front of about 600 people. And I had that pull of like, I would love to make this some fun presentation about how cool my life in photography is. Wouldn't that be nice? And then, you know, it just sinks in like, man, you kn- it's almost like I know, you know, I didn't think about what I was going to say to you. I have the stuff that has happened to me and I've tried to look at it and I feel like I know what it is and what I want to say. And for the first time I got up there and had to speak for two hours and spent a good block of it crying Wow! on a stage in front of about 600 people, it being translated. Were you that, were you, were you that terrified of public speaking or was it something else? It wasn't. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding, man. That was, that was very working into it. I mean, very scary to speak like that, but like, you know how you know something and you know something and you've known it for yourself about it for years and then you hear yourself say it out loud to another person and it just like congeals into like a physical presence. 
it was kind of saying the whole story from start to finish out loud to a group of strangers. And it was just like emotionally overwhelming. Wow. Intense. Yeah. So, so like this intensity that you have now that I see at least, and maybe, maybe you don't see yourself as intense, but you know, you're a pretty passionate guy with a lot of energy. Like, were you that way? at all growing up and did you like harness it in anything or was this was there really that line in the sand with your life almost like you have two completely different lives here's the thing and you know this is you you don't have to take it with a grain of salt because we get to look back and then you just get to tell the events of how you want it to sound you know and i'm conscious that i'm doing that but for me what it is right now is i think i had this inside of me and i had so much fear that it mostly just manifested as migraines and depression and anxiety and social anxiety and introversion. And I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't face that I was feeling different than how I was supposed to. And it took me 26 years to even like put my foot through that door. Wow. That is so intense. So it is, it is like two lives almost. I mean, that's the intensity for me, man. You know, isn't that I'm like a very intense person. I think if you meet and hang out, you'll see I just kind of am not, kind of just can sit there quietly. Well, I guess, I, you know, I, I should have rephrased it. There's intensity inside of you, right? And like, that's cool. Like, not many people have that. <laughs> and it's what, like, when it's like, hey, talk about photography. It's like... Yeah, it's so fun to take pictures and you get followers and you travel and then people buy you stuff and it's rad. And it's like, that's really true. And I don't want to discount that because what a blessing of an existence. But then when someone's like, tell me about it, it's like, well, I was dying. I kind of wanted to kill myself. I felt genderless. I had an entire belief system that I didn't believe in. I don't think anyone close to me knew what I was really going through. And I really just wanted to die and started eventually sort of making images to leave something honest behind because nothing else had been, you know? And then it's like, well, yeah, it's hard not to be intense. (laughs) Wow, man. Genderless. Like you said, sorry, like that, that word just like stuck in my brain when you said it there. Like, what do you mean? I'm a straight white American male, like by design, you know, by biologic factors and I just don't associate with it okay I just don't see anything that I can find that defines that and be like yeah I'm with them well if we're gonna like try and like connect the the dots a little bit here (laughs) with this conversation like in that in that post you made about wow withdrawing from the church I think you wrote something about LGB like you wrote something in there about that and when you wrote that I I read this like when you put it up kind of it's just like the timing was right and then it kind of like made me wonder are you a political guy like actively political or like do you have a you know a strong set of political beliefs I I have a strong strong sense of women and minorities and sexual minorities get treated like second class citizens and it is devastating to me because the group treating them like that is the group I'm a member of. Oh, okay. You know, like straight middle-class white men. Like I can't think of a group that's done more damage to minorities and I, it, it weighs on me. So I'm very, very 
you know, not like a set of political beliefs, but like I will post about women's or gay issues. And I don't, if it lost me 90% of my following, I would do it. Like I feel a larger humanity connection to be like, we are going to treat these people well. And I will post about it forever. And I don't care who that alienates. Do you do anything? Um, are you proactive offline in any way in like supporting these groups of people who you kind of affiliate with or whatever the, the word would be? No, not enough. I mean, Lifestyle-wise, kind of, because three of my closest friends that I grew up with, Mormon, have, like, come out to me as gay, which is was amazing. Like, I'm one of the first people they told, like, told, told. Wow. And I, I think a lot of that came from me trying to, like, use my online presence to be, like, a, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to make my page as something where people can feel like they see someone sharing stuff they're not supposed to share. Okay. And that that can hopefully make them feel like there's somebody I can tell. I have an email folder that I keep that's now hundreds deep of the emails I got. Like, I don't have someone in my life to tell this to, but like, like, you know, like the paragraphs of like, here's what's going on. Thanks for giving me the courage to tell somebody with your work um like you you photograph models essentially you know beautiful women and things like that and they're in hotel rooms and bathrooms and whatever like they're or in iceland in a in a waterfall or whatever so you photograph women they all they're beautiful pictures but i mean you're they could be interpreted differently and what i mean by that is like I'm not saying this has happened to you or maybe it has, but like you look at some boudoir work, for example, and if you read the comments and the evil shit people write, yeah. it's objectifying women, right? Yeah. Have you ever encountered that type of conflict with your work where people, sure. because if, you know, speaking to you, clearly you're like not, but have you ever had to deal with that kind of shit? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I don't want to say like, I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm very actively not trying to do that, but it, life, life's kind of funny that way sometimes, you know, where I'm trying to approach it from like, I'm a man who feels 0% masculine and wants to take feminine photos. I have tons of my own body image things about feeling weird in my body and what I, you know, and then it just translates in, into this ideal thing of like, I would love to shoot a woman who's 5'11 and 120 pounds, you know, just to like, like you said, they're all self-portraits, you know, like I want to work with someone that understands me and is my body type and make this. And all of a sudden you just like dunk yourself into this, like shooting supermodel figures that make everybody else feel bad. And on one hand, I am really sensitive about it because, you know, it's like, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to add to that. I don't want to make anybody else hurt. And on the other hand is this defensiveness of like, what the fuck do you mean that's not an okay body type? It's my body type. You know, then there's this like, now I'm on the other side too. I just got told like, you can't feel like this and look like this. So it's a very, it's a very interesting thing. And what I do is try and do it with care and respect and kindness and introspection. But when it 
exists in my head. You know, when I can like see a photo I would make that feels like something I'm feeling, I have a pretty spiritual responsibility to that, you know, because it kind of led me out of a lot. And if it's still there and I'm still seeing something about it, like I have a pretty personal duty to myself to look at it and make something. And I try really hard. That's why that's, you know, to connect this to another question, that's why I share so much text and so much of the, where it's coming from and the vulnerability and the conflict, because I don't want to just be like, look at this fucking hot girl, man. Thanks for the likes. I want it to be like, I needed to make this for me. I really did. And I hope it comes across well. And if I can help contextualize that by putting a lot of the, stuff you don't usually talk about with it, I'm willing to do that to hopefully not do as much damage, but like, I feel a compulsion to make it. Wow. This is, this is so interesting. Like, like I'm, I, as I said, to kick things off, we've never spoken before. Yeah. And yeah, I, this is like so much more than what I expected. So like, there's a confidence that comes with that. Like what, how you've spoken this past hour. Or so like, seems to me like, there is a confidence there and you do like the fine show or the, is that what it's called? Uh, the fine show that you did? No, no. the film no. show. Sorry. Sorry. Like, okay. So you do various things, public speaking, you know, TV gigs, if we want to call them that. And these things require that level of confidence. You so, want, you want to, you want a tiny 30 second insight into something you just mentioned. That's probably different than you think. Sure couple, three years ago when I was having this level of intensity and thinking about it and feeling like I couldn't get it out there. I had this breakdown at like three in the morning of like, I want to put this out there. I don't know how, I don't know how. And finally I was like, what do you want, man? What do you want? Write it down. And it was like three in the morning and I had waterproof paper, which has been a really cool thing for me. And I got in the shower and I was basically crying and I wrote down like, I'm getting this following. It has misconceptions about why I'm doing it, but I'm not that good at writing it out. I wish I had an opportunity where I could do the thing I wanted to do, talk about why I was doing it, be with people I felt safe and comfortable around, meet some of the people that are inspiring me, have somebody film it and put it out there. And I wrote that down in the shower and then I looked at it and I was like, see, that's what you want. And that same night, I emailed that production company okay. in BC, and I was like, here's what I just wrote in the shower. Would you want to make this? And they wrote back, yes. Okay, that was the film show, right? That was the film okay. show. Not, That's how that happened. Okay, the film show. 3 a.m. bedroom cries of not getting it out there the way I wanted to. <laughs> okay, so the confidence thing. like, It'll maybe... go away when we're done speaking, by the way. What's I'll that? Say... The confidence thing is when... I have an opportunity to say it out loud. It doesn't really sustain me on my own. I'll probably sit quietly alone and not know what I'm doing for two hours after we're done talking. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the, what I was going to say with the confidence thing, and hopefully it kind of like brings this thing to like uh, a nice conclusion, hopefully, but as confidence grows, which you have a bit of it now, it seems at least like, does that give you more direction? And if it does, like what's next for you, would you say? What it finally gave me is like, you know, and it takes years. I, I think that's something we're, we're morally obligated to mention. 
is that like you have these desires and then there's five years of trying 2000 shoots where you don't really convey it, where you want to and try and try and fail and fail and fail. But eventually you get to a point where you look at an image and you go, oh my God, I did it. Like that feels how I feel, at least to me. You can never depend on how it's going to translate to anyone. But I started seeing a few of like, you can do this. You have the skill set to feel it, meet somebody, work, and produce something that actually does this. And I hope to God that translates to something beautiful and helpful and that can sustain my life here, but I have no idea what it is. Well, that, this has been a really cool conversation, man. It, yeah, not, not what I expected, uh, you know, when I just put my kids to bed now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I've really enjoyed this chat, man. Yeah, me too. So I guess at this point I will uh, say farewell and thank you very much for the conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to add at the end here? No, that I'm, that I'm grateful and excited to be speaking. You know, when I wrote you, when I saw the last one, I was like, I want to do that, you know, because <laughs> I just get this drive. And then I feel like people look at my work or whatever and like, oh, I don't, I don't see why. And so, so I'm, I'm starting, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm forcing myself on people in conferences, but the people I meet and the chance to connect with people like that and just share means a ton to me. Like I, I really, I've never been to Rome and I always wanted to see Italy. And now because of photos and us being able to connect over electronic computer machines, I'll get to see that. And it fills me with a huge sense of gratitude and I'm trying to feel excitement. Well, we're, not we're, that I'm not excited, but it's a tough <laughs> Well, we're, we're grateful for the electronic computer machines and that you're coming to Rome, man. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, have a great day, and uh, thanks again for the chat. Okay. That's Ryan Muirhead, one of the speakers at Way Up North in Rome, April 2016. If you're interested in more details about Ryan or about Way Up North, head over to our website uh, www.wayupnorth.co. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under at wayupnorth and on Twitter and Snapchat under at wayupnorthevent. Thanks for listening and talk soon. is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Hi folks, this is Rick Wilson from The Daily Beast's The New Abnormal. And I'm Molly Jongfest, a left-wing pundit and editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. Every Tuesday and Friday, we have fun, sharp conversations with people like Mary Trump, who revealed why her uncle is the worst president we've ever had. Or Ben Stiller on how the world of comedy is changing thanks to our political landscape. Tune in to The New Abnormal to hear us have fun conversations about a world gone mad. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.